The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right, we're going to begin uh, the Bible study portion now. And uh, welcome if you're coming online with us here to the Bible study. Jansen will be uh, sharing the word with us tonight. So take your Bible, your notebook, your pencil or pen in uh, your brain and uh, join us as we look into the Word. Good evening. I've been dealing with some allergy stuff since i gotten back from New York, so forgive me if my voice sounds a little bit different this evening or whatever, but uh, uh, bear with me through that, if you will. Uh, this evening we're going to continue on in our study in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. And uh, it's been uh, about a year now, I think. So thank you for bearing with me through this. And uh, I look forward to finishing up this uh, perhaps in a few weeks to come. Galatians chapter 5 is where we'll be this evening. And uh, we have uh, worked our way through verses 1, 2 through uh, verse 6. And uh, and now we're going to continue on, uh, if I can get there myself, uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verses 7 through 10. 7 through 10 this evening is where we'll be, and uh, we'll look at those verses and uh, the context a little bit around them, where we've been in Galatians chapter 5, as well as I'll mention at the end uh, where we'll be going but uh, if, you, if you would just take a moment with me again to pray and ask for the Lord's strength for the moments to come. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the few moments that we have remaining this evening. Uh, though a, a good proportion of our time has been given in prayer, and we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that uh, our minds would not be uh, uh, moved on and uh, into the things that are ahead of our in our week, but Lord, that we would be in tune to what you have for us to learn, and that your Holy Spirit would work in us uh, to teach us, to inform us, and to guide us into godly living through uh, what we see here this evening in your Word. We ask for that strength and uh, and wisdom this evening in your name. Amen. So, uh, if you remember in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 1 through 6, Paul has warned the Galatians about the dangers of embracing a law-based or works-based righteousness. Uh, And we saw that if they chose to circumcise themselves for the purpose of gaining or meriting their own righteousness, their actions would then be implying that Christ's work was ineffective or worthless. And uh, we saw that in verse 2, Paul wrote, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Their actions of by being circumcised would reveal that they are not true partakers in the grace which was offered to them in the beginning. Uh, you see in verse 4, Paul wrote, You have become estranged from Christ, meaning separated. You who uh, attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. 
we cannot depend upon law, that is our flesh, and grace, the spirit, for our salvation. The two do not mix at all. Whereas those who depend upon their works for righteousness, which Paul is warning the Galatians about, that they not fall into that same kind of thinking. In contrast, the believer eagerly awaits their final redemption by faith, a faith that produces good works out of a love for God. And we saw that in verses 5 through 6. Paul wrote, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But what? Faith working through love, a faith that is motivated by a love for God, not an outward compulsion of the law. That's not the motivating factor for the believer uh, to do good works, but a inward compulsion by faith that bears good works, good deeds by a motivation of love. Now in verses uh, 7 through 10, Paul is going to address more of his concern regarding the false teaching and those who are spreading it and the realities behind uh, the true teaching of the gospel. And we'll see that in verses 11 through 15 as well. Now, look with me at verse 7. Let me read for you verses 7 through 10, and then we'll work our way through these verses. Paul writes, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. In verse 7 in the beginning, we see that Paul commends the believers for running well at the beginning. He writes to them, you ran well. It seems that the Galatians had demonstrated a growing faith and obedience to the truth from the beginning. They had received Paul's word, the truth of the gospel. They had embraced it and lived by it, obeyed it. And Paul was commending them for doing so. They had been following the truth. They had been running well. Now things are different, though, Paul writes. And Paul is going to warn them about the severe realities concerning the false teaching which they were seemingly embracing. Remember back in Galatians chapter 4, verse 20, Paul said, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. These same doubts are what compels Paul to write here in verse 7 that though he believes they were running well, he now believes it is a different situation there. He writes in the end of verse 7, Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You see, the first severe reality concerning the false teaching is that it impedes them from following the truth. It can impede any believer from following the truth if they accept it and are persuaded by it. Paul writes, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Well, the question is really a rhetorical question, I believe. If Paul is speaking generally about the false teachers, since it seems that in general, Paul was well aware that it was the Jewish legalists who were spreading this false teaching. Uh, 
However, uh, it's true, probably Paul wasn't aware exactly who were the specific ones who were spreading it, but he did know uh, the message that they bared in which they were spreading amongst the Galatians. The point is, nevertheless, uh, in Paul's question, is that the Judaizers had successfully obstructed the Galatians from obeying the truth by sharing a persuasive message that was counter to the truth. That was the first severe reality concerning this false truth. It impeded them from obeying the truth. Obeying the truth here is identical in meaning with obeying the gospel. They had received it from Paul at one point, and now they were no longer believing in the truth of the gospel. Obeying the gospel includes both our initial saving faith in the finished work of Christ, as well as our perseverance in continuing to believe the truth. Our perseverance of our faith is uh, not not just our... It's not a, a, uh, a get-up-and-do-it kind of idea. It's a believing in the truth of the gospel continually, not forsaking it, not not uh, leaving it behind, denying it. It is continuing on in believing what you believed in from the beginning, that Christ's work is enough, that Christ died for our sins, paid the penalty, and that our righteousness is based upon the work of Christ and believing in faith. As we said at the beginning, you cannot combine both flesh and works and spirit and grace, the spirit and grace, they are, they are uh, contrasting to one another. The works that we could try to do would eventually swallow up the sufficiency of God's grace, and that's what was happening here. You cannot combine the works of the flesh and st- say at the same time that God's grace is enough. Our works, our fleshly merit, will always swallow up the sufficiency of God's grace. It was Paul's desire that they stay the course, that they run well and persevere in the faith to the end. Philippians 2.16 speaks about this. But instead, unfortunately, we see here that the Galatians were allowing the false teaching to hinder their progress in running well. Paul points out a a second severe reality concerning the false truth in verse 8. He says, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. This persuasion, secondly, is not from God. And that is a severe reality concerning this false false teaching. It is not from God. We see this in verse 8. Consequently, nor are those who are teaching it from God either. 1 John 4.1 talks about testing the spirits to see whether they are from God or not. That is in reference to uh, those who are going out and teaching, yet they are not of God. They are not Christ's. They bear a message that is false. And so uh, we see here that consequently, whether... Uh, Paul is speaking of the persuasion of the message or the teachers themselves. Neither are from God. Paul is confident that the persuasion of the false teachers does not have a divine origin. He says this here in verse 8. It is not from God. 
does not come from him who calls you. Him who calls you is a reference to God. God is the one whom does the calling leading to our salvation. And God's call to salvation is one of grace, not of works. It is not based on what we have done prior to our salvation or at the moment. It is based upon God's calling, who calls us to salvation, regenerates us, giving us the ability to believe in him for salvation. When we recognize that God is the one who is sovereign and has effectually called you to believe, then we recognize that salvation is a work of God and not of man. And that any teaching that says that his gracious work is insufficient is false. A works-based salvation that relies on the fleshly efforts of man is never from God. And that is Paul's point here. It cannot be from God this persuasion, because God's calling is one of grace, not of works. And so therefore, whether it be the teachers or the teaching, neither are from God. Another severe reality we see concerning this false teaching is in verse 9, and that is that it also contaminates the whole body of believers, the whole church. We see this in verse 9. Paul writes, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul uses a common proverbial statement that can be found in the Gospels and other scripture passages to teach an important lesson here. And uh, for us men who have been uh, meeting on Saturday mornings, you may remember our brother Ben's uh, recent study in uh, teaching about leaven. And uh, from that study and discussion about that, we learned that leaven in the Bible has, well, for one, a literal meaning. Uh, that we find often in the Old Testament scriptures, uh, that uh, leaven was a an element uh, used for in dough and causing uh, dough to rise. But besides its literal meaning that we find in the Old Testament, uh, it is also commonly used in the New Testament as a metaphor to describe the invading effects that something has on another, on something else. Leaven, uh, we could say their modern yeast, as it were, has a permeating effect that in time would eventually spread throughout the whole batch of dough. And so, in our metaphor here, proverbial statement, Paul is describing the permeating effect that this false teaching was having upon the church. In the New Testament as well, we see that leaven is a metaphor for sin, whether it be uh, bad doctrine, hypocrisy, immorality in the church, or in this case, the spreading of false teaching. Paul is using this, again, as I said, as a reference uh, to teach the Galatians the effects that the spreading of the false teaching could and very likely was having in the churches in the Galatia. In our lives today, whether it be uh, false teaching Immorality that is unaddressed in a church or bad doctrine, any sin can permeate the life of the church and corrupt it if we are not careful. And so we must be very sober-minded, careful, understanding the truth so that we do not fall into corruption from such sins. 
So Paul writes, a little leaven leavens the whole clump. Speaking of the dangers of this false teaching, and of course the false teachers who are spreading it. And then in verse 10 he writes, I have confidence though in you, I have confidence in you and the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. In verse 10 we see the confidence of Paul in the Lord. First, that the believers will not be persuaded by this teaching. Despite the persuasion that was hindering them from following the truth, Paul relays that he is still confident in the Galatians that they will not turn away from the gospel which Paul preached to them in the beginning to this erring teaching, to this false teaching, this false gospel which Paul spoke about. Uh, You remember back in the beginning of Galatians chapter 1 where he warns them that they are falling falling away uh, to some other gospel that was not another gospel at all. But here Paul uh, Paul shows, declares, writes of his confidence uh, that he believes that the Galatians, the true believers, will not turn away uh, to another form of teaching. But we see here more specifically and more importantly that Paul's certainty, his confidence, is not rooted in the Galatians, but in the Lord. That the Lord will be the one who does the sustaining who carries them all, carries them on. Paul was certain that God would preserve those who truly were called by him, by his grace. We see this here. He says, I have confidence in you. And then explains here, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. Paul was certain that God, again, as I said, would preserve those who truly were called by him, by his grace. Of course, a turning away of the Galatians, thinking and behaving, behaving like the Judaizers, was necessary. They would have to turn away from that kind of thinking and behaving in order to demonstrate that they were truly obeying the truth and that they were following in the teaching of Paul in the truth of the gospel. Secondly, not only does Paul have confidence in the Lord that the believers would Uh, not be persuaded, but persevere, that the Lord would preserve them, those who are his. But secondly, that the false teachers would be judged for their sinful behavior and actions and their disruption in the church. We see this uh, at the end of verse 10. He says, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. As I said, Paul was not only confident that the Galatians would in the end reject the false teaching that was being spread amongst them by the Judaizers, but that God would also have just judgment for those upon those who had taken part in disrupting the Galatians and spreading this false gospel. You might remember Paul's words of condemnation back in Galatians chapter 1. Let me read that for a moment. Paul in Galatians chapter 1 said in, says in verse 7, uh, Lord, let me begin in verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, as we said a moment ago. But there are some who trouble you. These are the same ones who, who Paul is speaking about now in Galatians chapter 5. And want to pervert the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we, Paul writes, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Very, very strong words of condemnation. Paul is, uh, is, is, uh, at, or is encouraging and his own uh, idea that these, uh, these ones who are spreading this false gospel should be accursed, should be separated from God, condemned for eternity, damned to construction. And then in verse 9, he writes again, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what we have, what you have received, let him be accursed. Now, as Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, further on in his letter, he is uh, reiterating the fact that God's judgment uh, will indeed come upon those who are spreading this gospel. Whoever that person is or people are that are doing this. Because you see the false gospel which the Judaizers were spreading was disrupting the faith. It was hindering them from obeying the truth. Though they, they themselves were willingly being deceived, still these Judaizers, these spreaders of a false gospel were still responsible for their actions, for breeding confusion and disrupting those who were saved and those who were yet not saved but interested perhaps in the faith and were now hearing such a false teaching, as it were. This is a serious matter, and Paul, as we just read, gave his two cents on the matter in verses 8 through 9 of chapter 1. And now Paul confirms that in the end, God will deliver his divine judgment against the unrighteous false teachers who oppose the work of God. It reminds me of a passage in in Second Peter Turn with me there just for a moment. Second Peter chapter 2. And uh, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2. I'm in chapter 1 and you turn to chapter 2. That would help. Well, let me begin in verse 1, Paul, or excuse me, Peter writes here, but there, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, also even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow after their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. And then he also writes in verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Verses remind me of the fact that uh, that in the end, God will deliver swift judgment upon those who are uh, living in an unrighteousness as well as deceiving and deceiving and disrupting uh, the work of the Lord, opposing 
this, the spread of the gospel and, and uh, exploiting the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel. In verses uh, 11, looking back at Galatians chapter 5 and verses 11 through 15, Paul is going to now turn to the actual reality concerning his message, the message of the truth, the gospel of Christ. And he's going to teach the Galatians and remind them uh, that uh, he has never taught circumcision as a condition for salvation, much less emphasized even the importance of it uh, at all, though he does speak of that at certain times. And secondly, that the cross is offensive to any kind of works-based salvation. And uh, we see that uh, there in verse 11. And then in verse 12, Paul gives his disapproval of the false teachers. And then uh, in verses 13 through 15, uh, Paul will uh, mention once again the idea of, of a faith uh, that works uh, that go, does good works th- through the motivation of love and as well as uh, the, the uh, exhortation to live out uh, the liberty that we have in Christ uh, and exercise it by love for one another. And so that is where we'll be next time. But I want to think just for a moment from this passage, we have learned uh, the severe realities concerning the false teaching and Paul's confidence in the Lord that he will preserve those who are his and cast judgment upon those who have disrupted uh, the church and have spread false teaching. But uh, we may consider just for a moment, what can we learn for our Christian walk today from these lessons, from what Paul has reminded the Galatians of? I think about the fact that we must be on guard against false teaching that could potentially persuade us and hinder us from growing in our faith and confidence confidence in the finished work of Christ. If we allow uh, any persuasion that is not from God to hinder us, then we can grow idle in our growth. We can begin to doubt our confidence and assurance in the finished work of Christ. Therefore, being on guard requires us to be knowledgeable in the truth and not be naive in what we believe. If we are naive to the work of Christ, to what Christ has done for us, what the word of God says regarding our salvation, and we are not knowledgeable in these things, then it is more likely we are more susceptible, like some of the Galatians, to be deceived and to... to, uh, and to be drawn away from the truth of the gospel. We are responsible to run well by relying on the grace of God and obeying the truth. We have a part in this, in our growth, and in in protecting ourselves from being persuaded. And therefore, we must run well by learning, by growing, by understanding uh, God's word, and not allowing uh, false teaching to, to persuade us to seep in, and as Paul wrote in verse 9, allow that leaven, whatever sin it may be, whether it be false teaching or immorality, bad doctrine, any of the such, to leaven the whole lump, as it were. 
So I implore myself and you along with me to continue steadfastly in what we know, what we believe, and to not grow weary in learning and growing in our knowledge of the truth so that we may persevere to the end. Would you pray with me as we close? Lord, this evening we pray and we ask that you would allow us uh, to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, to not allow anything, any kind of works-based teaching that says that we can merit our salvation or that we can even uh, merit any kind of uh, just uh, any kind of uh, favor in your eyes, Lord. And that even our own salvation is merely dependent upon us because it is not. It is the work of your Spirit in us who uh, strengthens us and who guides us uh, in righteousness and holiness. So, Lord, may we be dependent upon you in the sufficiency of the work of Christ. And as Paul will now teach us in the rest, the remainder of chapter 5 and even chapter 6, that it is the Spirit uh, who works in us to bring about good deeds and the fruit of the Spirit. So, Lord, we ask now this evening that we would be conscious of this, that we would not be naive, but running well. Lord, not be like some, like the Galatians who were hindered, who stumbled uh, in their in their running. But, Lord, that we would persevere, Lord, knowing that you will preserve those who are yours to the end. And we thank you for that that promise uh, and that faithfulness uh, that you show towards us. May we be faithful and obedient to your word and to the truth. In all these things we pray. Amen.